Welcome to Formula Wolf on Food & Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we have a special pleasure today to welcome Jorge Rodonez, a good friend and uh, super important Spanish wine importer to the U.S. Jorge, how are you? Good. Thank Hi, you. guys. Hi, Jorge. Thanks for being here with us today. My pleasure. It's going to be fun. We don't spend anywhere near enough time on Spain. Spanish wine, Spanish food, traveling to Spain. We both have great enthusiasm for it. Absolutely. It's a beautiful country. One of those reasons for the enthusiasm is having spent time with Jorge. Mm-hmm. As unpredictable as that might be sometimes. <laughs> well, sorry. Yeah. There's no question. <laughs> there's, there's no question that Jorge's enthusiasm for super high quality product in the kitchen, super high quality product in the vineyard. I've always felt like we were totally simpatico, you know, for continuation of quality in one place does not prohibit quality in the other place, and vice versa. That everything is on the same table. You cannot uh, love or make good wine or export or sell good wine or feel good wine without eating well. It's part of the program. I think um, the training or your palate involve excellent food. So the fresh ingredients, the herbs and everything, that's how we later relate to a good red wine or white wine. So I cannot imagine people having a good palate for wine if they spend all their life eating fast food, let's put it that way. As wine is a natural agricultural product produced from grapes, um, everything has to be attuned to that. And I think in the Spanish way, nobody drinks wine by himself over there. So when you go to a bar, to a restaurant, you ask for a glass of wine, they always give you uh, what we call tapa or whatever, some olives and hams and cheese or whatever. But there is no drinking by itself. It's a different culture. Wine is part of life. And I, I encounter many Spaniards in my life that will never uh, drink wine by itself. Or after dinner. When the dinner is finished, maybe a dessert wine from Andalusia, but no no more wine, red wine or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. It's kind of like a fundamental part of eating or lunching or dining or whatever you want to call it in Spain. So we always have listeners that ask us about traveling places, and they always ask us for travel advice. There are definitely people that come into retail stores that, that have begun to love Spanish wine, or in restaurants they order Spanish wine. And there are at times uh, you know, restaurants in an area that, serve Spanish food. Mm-hmm. If someone's going to Spain, what are the what are the five most important things they need to know about the kitchen in Spain, about about food in Spain? What makes that table special? Uh, the first thing they have to think is a very diverse country with different weather conditions, very radical differences. While this summer, uh, the north part of Spain, the Basque Country, Asturias, Cantabria, and Galicia was raining almost every day. In the south, we were on over 100 degree Fahrenheit on the beaches of Andalusia. So it's wh- where you want to go. Um, as well as the weather conditions are very diverse, the food is the same. So in the north, you could have a stew of beans with a spider crab or grilled fish like turbot or flétan. 
octopus, oysters, whatever. And in the south, you have fresh uh, fried anchovies, uh, red mullets, calamari situation. So it's kind of like the steaks are in the north. In the south, we have the pork, almost like similar to America. So the culture of the real Iberico pork is in the south, the best hams, the best meats uh, from wild race, free-range pork are in the south, and then in the north you have the cows because the green thing. So where I will go to Spain? First to Madrid, which is the capital, and you have more museums than any other place in Spain. The second largest collection of paintings in the world, but I mean you have a lot of, the gastronomy, the whole country is there. Uh, it's a nice city, welcoming, and so on. Then, you know, Barcelona is a major destination, but I'm surprised that it's a major destination more than Madrid because it's more like the culture of Catalonia, whether in Madrid you could find... It's I mean, distinctly different. It's kind of like different. It's almost like going to the Basque Country, San Sebastián or Bilbao, which mm-hmm. are great destinations for food. You have the touch of the Basque culture there, like a concentrated soup of... Basque culture, the same thing as Barcelona, concentrated soup of Catalonian culture, which is great. And then uh, you have Andalusia, which is incredible because the oldest city in Europe is in Andalusia, it's Cadiz, unbeknown to most of the people. It's a walled city by the Atlantic, which survived many tsunamis and has been uh, there forever. And that's why the Phoenicians uh, came to Spain first, and the Greeks looking for the the riches of Andalusia mining operations. Cadiz, Seville, Cordoba, Malaga, uh, Almeria, Granada, of course, with the more influence. Mm-hmm. The, the south is so diverse and beautiful, and the weather is always better. So, I mean, you could go to any place in Spain and have a lot of fun. I mean, the... Valencia, Alicante, Extremadura, but it's so different. The country is a country that fit a couple of times in the state of Texas and is so diverse. Weather, food, wines, culture. Because we're always hungry, if I give you a region, can you name a dish that's emblematic of that region? Maybe, if you, Maybe. If you go slow. <laughs> the, so... Up in the northwest, in Galicia, mm-hmm. what is the most typical dish in Galicia? Well, the most typical dish and the emblematic dish in Galicia is the um, pulpo a la gallega, octopus Galician style, which is a local octopus, unfortunate poor guy, that is boiled in a <laughs> copper <laughs> pot, traditionally, okay. a big pot with sun onions for one hour and a half submerged three times in the pot so it doesn't lose the skin and then slowly cook for one hour and a half, two hours. After the picture, the octopus, believe it or not, is very tender um, and never cut with a knife and cut with scissors and served with a bit of lukewarm potatoes, sea salt and paprika mm-hmm. and extra virgin olive oil. And if you are hungry, the best bread in Spain by far is the Galician bread. So that's a lunch by itself. After saying that, the main source of uh, shellfish in Spain is Galicia. They have a collection of crabs, including the famous centollo or spider crab, which is also found, you know, in the shores of America, in the northeast and um, in California, but never 
commercially fish. And then we also have an, a crab that is very similar to the Dungeness crab called Bue de Mar. And then we have beautiful oysters and all type of clams. But the most emblematic dish in Galicia is octopus, for sure. I'm, I'm going to ask you every time. Yeah. So the one wine from that region. Because uh, this, this whole program is just a lesson. The wine, wine from Galicia certainly um, is Albariño. Mm. Follow, because it's more rare, the Godello grape. So the, these are the two main grapes there. Albariño and both Godello work with incredibly well with the local seafood, as usual in the old world. We did have lunch, and I did taste your excellent Albariño. Would you tell listeners about the wine because it's super high quality? We make an Albariño from older vines planted in the 80s, and it's called La Caña Navia, which is the goddess of the waters in Galician culture. One vineyard is on the beach, basically. You could just, like, take your swimming trunks and swim after harvest. And the other <laughs> is n- nearby 18th century church and cemetery. So that's why the wine is so rich. It has a lot of um, minerals from the dead people. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> and then uh, we ferment the wine for mm. one year, and it's, it's special. That's all. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. All right. So let's... Let's move east a little bit, away from those dead people. Yep. voila. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe, uh, how about Asturias? Asturias, the national dish is, um, of course, Cabrales situation, and uh, the cheese. And there's another cheese that... La Peral. Mm. La Peral. Oh, my gosh. La Peral. So I, I love that stuff. Gorgeous, La Peral is, for me, is, is the runny, most delicate. sexy, gorgeous cheese. Sorry, blue cheese. It is. I use it a lot it for is. blue cheese sauce on my filet mignon. Oh, my goodness, yes. I use the trick. I love and it. And my girlfriend said, wow. That's it doesn't sound really like a good. trick. It sounds like a filet mignon with a big piece of blue cheese on it. Yes, I put a lot of cheese <laughs> and a little bit of cream. And, of course, the, fab- <laughs> the Fabada Asturiana, the, the white broad bean situation... Um, with chorizo, asturiano, schmock, chorizo, and then um, black pudding, you know, mm-hmm. uh, schmock too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, that's the it. The beans are so good. Uh, so blue, blue cheese and pork and beans are what you're telling me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, but the, the, the beans there, the people are pretty nasty about that. What do you mean? So, I mean nasty means like you don't buy in the supermarket and say, they buy directly from the guy oh. that grows them. It's Sounds like good. My guy. And I have been in restaurants <laughs> in Asturias and show me a complete two freezers, mm-hmm. chest full of beans, vacuum pack, because they have them fresh, the vacuum pack them and freeze them. Good. I mean, the, in season, they, they cook them directly, but otherwise it's like you don't, they don't buy them dry as we Got it. do the rest of the Got country. Got it, okay. Mm-hmm. So let's see, where's next? Uh, Castilla Leon. Castilla Leon is lamb, lamb, lamb. Mm -hmm. You don't like lamb, don't go there. Love lamb. And uh, of course, great, uh, you know, um, cheap milk cheeses. Superbo ones there. That's the two cornerstone there. I mean, the the beef is little because it's very bare lands, very dry. Why why don't you take us up a little bit further north to uh, Paibasco? People always do want to go to San Sebastian, it yeah, seems like. Yeah, the Basque Country, the best thing they do is, of course, grilled seafood. North Atlantic grilled seafood. Turbo, 
which is the cousin of Fletan, which I forgot in English was the name of the Fletan. Uh, Halibut. Oh, Halibut, oh, yes. Halibut, okay. Yeah, uh, the, the cousin, the European cousin of Halibut is Turbo. It's fantastic grill with charcoal for one hour, and they put a lot of uh, olive oil. What do you mean? The ho- talking about the whole fish? Yeah, they put the whole process. fish in a yeah. basket, in a wire basket, so the fish doesn't mm. go away, and it sit mm. there on the charcoal. <laughs> With uh, basting constantly with olive oil, lemon, oh, vinegar, so sauce that they make. Okay, I want to have that. And um, you know, beans, um, steaks. It's like the past, like northern people by the Atlantic. You need a lot of energy, and so it, it is the food there. Grilled seafood, grilled meats. The wine there, of course, is the chacoli. My favorite breakfast wine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink too much. Uh, um, but it's not uh, that strong. It's not. It's but, uh, that's what people think. It's easy. I, I have once a trip with 22 Americans, and we drink 45 bottles of chocolate. That's, that's probably too many for breakfast. Yes, and I need the dog that take care of the the sheep <laughs> to look after them because they were all <laughs> lost on the fields. And the wandering month. around. So Shamelessly. <laughs> Pe- people don't. <laughs> chocolate is an unusual wine. Yes. It's a frisante. Uh, type of wine made with two very rare varieties on the Rabi Suri and on the Rabi Belsa and the vineyards are hanging in cliffs overlooking the Atlantic in I mean in the winter these things are suffering a lot because you know the road to the town of Getaria for example I mean I have been there going for 30 years has been destroyed three times by big northeasters there Wow! so like boulders coming down Gosh. but anyway uh, the, the wine place. is superb it's very light easy to drink and perfect for acidity for the local anchovies that they produce superb anchovies um, done by the local women I remember one day going to one of those places that the women clean the anchovies before they can in olive oil mm. and uh, I was smoking out of the factory so I enter and the place smell like anchovies, of course. Mm-hmm. Imagine the stench of the anchovies everywhere. They got on the anchovies and everything. The ladies, you smell horrendous. You have been <laughs> smoking. I say to the ladies, you smell worse. You well, smell sometimes, like anchovies. Sometimes us non-smokers, uh-huh. yes. you know, you, you bother us. Already. But they, 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 were, they were not so delicate, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Just to see wow. the characters. So they were nice ladies. They though. pack the anchovies in oil. Yes. Mm. yes. I bet that is... Super good. What else you want to go for food? Uh, well, we're going to go to a few more regions in just a few moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we come back on uh, Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, we'll have a little more time with Jorge Rudonez talking about, uh, I guess it's really Spain 101, food and wine. All of that and more on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. Welcome back to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're spending time today with Jorge Rodonez, who's a good friend, a really important Spanish wine importer, and is the best authority I know on Spanish food and wine, and enthusiastic consumer of both. We're glad you're with us. Thank you for joining us today and sharing all your knowledge and wisdom. We're doing a little Spain 101 food and wine, and uh, we spent a little time on a couple of the regions in the 
first installment, let's spend some more time. Uh, let's talk about the center of the country. Center of the country is Madrid. Madrid is all the cuisine of the whole country there. Representatives like going to New York. So you would expect to find food from Estremadura, from That's correct. Catalonia, from... The national, the national dish in Madrid, the capital of Spain, is el cocido madrileño and the callos a la madrileña, which is, callos mean tripe, uh, madrileña style, which is a soup with uh, tripe, evidently, mm -hmm. and uh, chorizos and, you know, slowly cooked, uh, a lot of paprika, the very clean tripe, which is the most important thing. I used to hate tripe when I was a kid, but my mother told me, as long as they are clean, they are good. And so, otherwise, they smell like, mm -hmm. you know what. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and this is a natural dish there, along with the cocido madrileño, which is cocido is a dish found in Madrid South, which basically is garbanzo beans boiled with cured lardo and uh, ham and um, beef chunk and pork and uh, you name it, and a lot of vegetables, including parnish, uh, celery, and um, carrots. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a, I mean, like five hours too. That result in a very nice, rich, soupy situation, which the locals drink first, and then they serve the rest of the story, the garbanzo beans, all the meat, uh -huh. and the potatoes, and the parnishes, everything separate. And, and in so a, almost dry? Yeah, almost okay. dry. Okay, so the broth is first and then the... Yes. So, and, ooh. Yes. That sounds good. So after that, you need to go to bed or to the hospital, <laughs> either or <laughs> your choice. <laughs> but with, people with, love it. With the dish and before going to bed at the hospital, what does one drink? Mm. Uh, yeah. Of course, a nice bottle of Tempranillo. Mm. Yeah, whether it's from Rioja, Rivera Toro, something like a red robust wine talk about toro for a second because yeah. i think toro is one of those regions that people don't i think that people in general know tempranillo yeah. and they know rioja mm -hmm. but they don't know toro so what what makes toro particular for uh, the, the tempranillo grape in 1985 i was reading a lot of the history of spanish wines and i noticed most of the history of spanish wines written by french travelers and I noticed that um, you know the wines of Toro, seemingly to be the most popular wines in Spain, in the 14th, 15th, and 16th, 17th century. The only ones that didn't even pay taxes when they entered the cities at the time, you be grain, wine, or alcohol or whatever, cotton into a city, and you had to pay taxes to enter. These wines were free of taxes. And I wonder why. Then I read that they were the only appellation that resists phylloxera, the play that is throughout the vineyards in Europe, because the soil are so particular, very ungiven and very sandy, that the bug that destroy the vineyards cannot survive there. And then you notice that the vineyards are very low yield and so on, and very high altitude. It, for me, it's the Shangri-La of Tempranillo in Spain. Um, very low yields, uh, very consistent weather. So you want to make money, that's not the right place to go. Uh, but if you want to make great wines, that's the place to go. And when I went there, there were seven wineries. When I left there momentarily, there were 80. So it's one of these areas that you know we rediscovered for the Spanish viticulture. Uh, I think it's gonna be very important 
in the future and more important and an alternative to the Rioja wines and the wines of uh, Ribera Duero. I'm not saying anything against them. Uh, Rioja has its history and Ribera Duero has its history, but truly the oldest Tempranillo known by the Spaniards in Spain are the ones of Toro. The kind of the Rioja wines, uh, history is recent, 200 years old, <laughs> versus the wines of Ribera Duero, 150 years. So Toro is only one hour and a half away, two hours, sorry, from northwest Madrid. And why the locals eat cheese, superbo cheese, and lamb also, like any place in Castile. Casti uh, Castilla Leon is north of Madrid, it's a big plateau there and is the land of the lamb. Just for listeners to get the important differences between those three big Tempranillo zones, Ribera de Duero. Yeah, in the center. So basically, you go from north to south and from north to west. The first area defined is Rioja, which is the closest to Bordeaux. It's only four hours and a half away and the closest to the Atlantic. So you have very cold weather, Tempranillo. I mean, I was there at harvest with you in October when there was snow. Yeah. In, in a particularly not good year. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, they are challenged by the Atlantic weather condition that uh, uh, if you only have the big mountain range protecting them to the north, uh, Rioja wouldn't exist. So it's kind of like a buffer zone, limit cultivation area. In the other side of the mountain range, you cannot grow anything. I mean, you can grow peppers. <laughs> no, you cannot grow. You cannot grow tomatoes. So it, it's kind of like very harsh, limit conditions. And yeah. then you go to Ribera Duero is higher than Rioja, in the valley of the Duero River. You know, we're talking always valleys of the rivers, like any great wine regions of the world. And um, over there is more ungiven, more dry and high altitude, and then you tutorial, you get even higher altitude than all of them. And the soil, the poorest soil of all of them, with the less water, is Toro. So you have more concentration as you go down to the west. Hmm. And you have, you have a project, you have a winery there now. Yeah, because I like to drink good wine. Too. I have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> Tell people what the winery is. The winery is um, Jorge Ordonez Winery in Toro. This is the name, very simple. And we made two wines, three wines there. We made a wine called Triton or Triton. We went um, made with old vines and grafted material. Then we have a wine called Batan, which is from a vineyard planted in 1900. So the vineyard right now is 118 years old. And so let's go east. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go to let's go to Catalonia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't well, wait to hear this. Well, Catalonia is almost like Andalusia. You have the cuisine of the coast and the cuisine of the mountain. Okay, so you have the beautiful, um, I would say, I wouldn't say paellas, uh, but for, for our listeners to understand, we'll call them paellas uh, rather than the local name is arroz, uh, you know, rice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they have a collection of beautiful. Uh, seafood-based rice. So, shellfish, a little, I mean, more so they are focused more in the, the red shrimp, mm. the cigalas, like we have in Andalusia, the same thing, and very good rice by the beach and the water. 
in the Monte complete changed completely. You could have escargot, you could have uh, more vegetables and hardy dishes like wild boar, easily in the mountains, escudellas, big stews with uh, a lot of sausages and everything floating around there. So it's more like a French uh, heavy-duty countryside cuisine, if you, if, if, if any comparison, uh, solving the, the differences, you know. It's uh, superb. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like uh, if, if you can get away from the touristic uh, trap in a big city, evidently. Like the same thing in Madrid, you get like a regular thing. It's like, and uh, but you could find a lot of those. But if you get to the local restaurants, the 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 Catalan cuisine is full of history and um, variations. So you don't think about one particular dish. You can you, you have to go um, to a lot of them. I mean, one of my favorite dishes is the weirdest one. Is the roasted onions over ambers, uh, you know, the one, uh, mm. you know, the John spring onions that they bury into the ambers or the charcoals for half an hour, one hour. So good. Then they pull them out, wrap them in old newspapers, and then you dip them in the sauce, uh, calzot sauce, which is uh, is made with hazelnuts, um, tomatoes. Um, Lots of garlic. Lots of garlic and uh, a number of things there. Vinegar, this kind of thick dipping sauce. So by the time you finish with all these uh, grilled onions, your face is black, uh, <laughs> at least. <laughs> and But it's delicious. I like it's to have with it. a good bottle of cava. So most of the cava, I guess people think of high-quality cava, mostly comes out of Catalonia, right? That's correct. You can find uh, other high-quality cavas in Rioja, but 99% uh, of the production of good quality cava is from Catalonia. Cava is not an appellation that describes a geographic region. Cava is, um, is an appellation that protects the way in which the product is made in Spain. So it has to be Méthode Champanoise. So it has to be made like any champagne, fermented in the bottle in order to be cava. In, in uh, Cava Appellation today is all Catalonia, um, some parts of Valencia, some parts of Extremadura, and Rioja. Let's go down the coast to uh, Valencia. Yep. Valencia is about rice. Uh, that's the the place, the birthplace of paella. And um, the original paella is the marking point of all these <laughs> restaurants all over the world and all this food. Unfortunately, paella is misrepresented by many of the restaurants abroad in Spain and even by the ones in Spain. So has been an association lately to protect the the authenticity of paella. The original paella, I think, is made with eels, uh, which was uh, normally found in the marshlands of Valencia, escargot, and rabbit, and uh, three different vegetables. There's like two two beans and a green bean, which is a green bean that is wider than the Italian broad red bean. Very uncommon, only found in Valencia. I was going to say it's indigenous to that region, yeah, yeah, so it's, it's like so you, special. You, to, to find the original place, you have to go there. You, you, you know, find an original paella dish in Malaga, period. And the locals play with it instead to use uh, rabbit, they use chicken. And it, some variations of people throw artichokes. I have been uh, in that situation, but the rest is different. I mean, you have the arroz banda, which is one of my favorites, uh, which is just rice, 
with a heavy duty stock of fish, uh, made with monkfish and shrimpies and a lot of you know rockfish, scorpion fish also. Mm. Scorpion fish give the best stock. Yes. Oof. And and you you have like a very orangey stock that you boil the rice and after eating the rice, like in the case of the dish of Madrid, the people serve the potatoes and the fish that you use for the stock with a heavy duty alioli. If you were still hungry, of mm. course I ne- I would never eat the potatoes. What's was the point of eating potatoes after having rice? Rice, yeah. So okay. So can you still get these dishes prepared traditionally? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. yeah. You could get a, like a collection of places. Good. So that, that the the restaurant Paco, Paco and Diaz in Alicante. Yeah. And my favorite place for rice in Spain has been voted by many Spanish series magazines. Um, no fly by night as the best uh, rice in Spain. And it's not a traditional paella, but it's a, a roth made with uh, rabbit. Uh, they raise themselves the rabbit, but it's not the rabbit bunnies that you have, your kids have in the garage, um, you know, wide uh, looking and with red eyes that they are very scary. See, these <laughs> are, they are uh, rabbits, they are dark, um, you know, like wild rabbits. They are fed good vegetables until they die. And uh, wild escargot. Uh, in, in Mediterranean, wild escargot is crazy because uh, escargot comes from normally from humid areas, green grass, and that's why you have all these big, delicious escargot bourguignon situations, like a big, fat escargot, because they eat grass all day long. This poor yeah, thing. These are little teeny tiny escargot. Yeah, because they never see any grass. They <laughs> you are said unlucky. These poor things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, they, they, I love it. They, they, they don't have the grass that they, <laughs> they, the neighbors from France have. So these people live in survival mode and they eat everything they can, which means ended up eating a lot of rosemary by necessity and stuff like that. So they taste like rosemary. Mm. And once you, you don't find them, the, the chef tells you, if you don't have this escargot from the mountain, use rosemary as a substitute, okay. and it works. Uh-huh. Anyway, so they do rabbit and escargot situation, and the poor lady, um, Josefa, which is the chef at the restaurant, um, cook uh, under inhumane conditions. That's like, a serious kitchen. Yeah, it's just like she cooked with um, vine cuttings, so it's an open fire made with wood from the vineyards, and the temp- temperature there is impossible. You uh, you cannot get closer to the paella pan than, I would say, two feet. Once you get one feet, uh, you just start burning yourself. Um, she doesn't have to go to the laser removal program for her uh, because <laughs> she has no hairs, no eyebrows, and she's always very skinny. And the poor thing works, uh, you know, in the summer. In the town, the temperature is 110. Imagine we're in the kitchen with no air condition. But the rice is masterpiece. The it's rice like is amazing. What's the amazing, name of the restaurant? Amazing. Paco Gandia. Yeah. I'm it's, going there. It's a haul to get there, and it's totally worth it. Yes. And you'll get lost at least four times on the way. Yes. Okay, next time you go, can I go with you? Yes, please. Please, thank you. So when we come back, if these guys don't leave and go get some arroz, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll have uh, a little more education on Spain, food and wine, and uh, more time with Jorge Bedonias. All of that and more on Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine.
Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're lucky enough to be spending some time with Jorge Rodonez, landmark importer of Spanish wine, and definitely most knowledgeable gourmand and amateur chef and Spanish fisherman that I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've had a chance to travel with Jorge a little bit in Spain, and we're trying to bother him into sharing a little bit of his vast knowledge of what to know about Spain. Yeah, it's really a treat to have you here us w- with us, Jorge. Thank you so much for Pleasure. being here. So go ahead and take us home. Take us to Andalusia. Well, Andalusia, like the rest of the country, it, it is a country by and, itself, basically the south. Andalusia is facing Africa, right, on the south coast of Spain. Yes. The most southern part, uh, part of Andalusia is the Rock of Gibraltar. And Gibraltar is very narrow, straight. So from my home in Malaga, I can see Africa and Gibraltar. In can clear you? nights. I can see the cities, That's the amazing. lights of the cities. So we are very close wow. uh, mm. across this, the strait. Um, Andalusia is um, the oldest of all the regions. And the oldest city in the world is Cadiz, as I said before. I mean, the world, sorry, in, in Europe. All right. It was founded by the Phoenicians. In uh, home of a kingdom, legendary kingdom, found in the Bible today called the Kingdom of Tartessos, and whose king, Argantonio, he was believed to uh, live until he was 150 years old. At the time, they didn't have preserved foods or anything like that. Everything was natural. So that may be the case. The diversity of Andalusia is even more than perhaps comparatively to the rest of the country because we have more mountains there than any other place in Spain, except for Asturias. The province of when I was born, Malaga, has more mountains than any other place in Spain. So the people grow very separated for many years. So from the gastronomy of Huelva, the closest western location to Portugal, to the gastronomy of Cadiz, which has the best bluefin tuna in the world, catch in the old-fashioned way, you have a tremendous diversity. I mean, you could go there and have sashimi that you never have in Tokyo. And that's amazing. That's that's amazing. What is catching bluefin tuna in the old-fashioned way? Catching bluefin tuna in the old-fashioned way is the Almadrava system, named by the Arabs. But the Romans already did it. And it's basically you throw a net, humongous net, wow, yes. in the Atlantic perpendicular to the beach that is uh, with floaters, evidently. It's a wall net. And anchor with anchors the size of your living room, basically, to prevent the humongous currents of the Atlantic to remove the net. Do you do that from a boat or from the Yeah, you, the, you, you set it up in a boat. Okay, okay. okay? Uh-huh. And then at the end of the net, as you go far away from the beach, you set up a, a labyrinth trap. So the tuna goes there migrating, going to the Mediterranean to make the things to reproduce and to lay the eggs around Turkey and Greece, but first they have to enter the stretch of Gibraltar, and Cadiz is very close to that, so they follow the coast, eating delicious anchovies and sardines, local fare, and having fun, and, and then they hit the wall, the, the net, and then the net... Uh, it's all fun on the beach until you hit the so, wall. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and, they, and then they try to get out, and they found this beautiful labyrinth, they get in, and they cannot get out, and then they harvest them fresh, it's like, boom, and so... 
I mean, I, I go to the main area of harvesting. The lands are set in between May and July when the tonnage is limit. They remove them. It's not, it's not year-round, so it's very, uh, how you call it, environmentally friendly situation. Sure. You don't go after them yeah. with helicopters and planes and boats. Yeah. They just get into the net naturally, and we treat them to Japan or we them locally. But but again, the complexity of the food is you always have in Andalusia the same thing you have in Catalonia or you have the same thing you have in Valencia, the cuisine of the coast and the cuisine of the mountain. So within, within not mileage, you could have in Cadiz, uh, Huelva, for example, superb shrimps and uh, coquina, Venus clams, or whatever. But if you go up, you get the best Iberico ham in Habugo. So it's the best place in the world, pretty yes, much. Yes, mm. uh, and, <laughs> the, and agriculture is tremendous. Like the biggest greenhouses in Europe are in Almeria. So uh, the the tomatoes, uh, the lettuce, and the, the English, the Germans eat are produced in Andalusia too. So it's the land of the riches, mm. and everything is so cheap, agriculturally based. Because I don't know why, but uh, uh, comparison with here, but because we don't have to travel so much, I guess. <laughs> Just like your your fruit, uh, our orchards are next yeah, door. Food food traveling costs not only fuel; it costs. Yes. On a human scale, too. Labor, yes. everything. When you eat tuna like that, how is it prepared? Do you eat it raw? And I mean, we, so with we're starting to eat oil. it raw because, I mean, the best way to eat the, the thing, but, um, I mean, we have tuna con tomate. Mm. Atun con tomate is quite good. And tarantelo asado with Pedro Jimenez reduction. Oh. It's brutal serve over, uh, you know, mashed potato situation. It's like... The richest part of the tuna, if you do it right with some wine and so on, I mean, you can do it. I mean, you could do anything you want. We make uh, meatballs made out of tuna, bluefin tuna. Incredible. Uh, you can make bolognese, which I have done, mm. with bluefin tuna. As long as the quality of the tuna is premium, you know. Mm-hmm. You do just like inimaginable things with bluefin tuna. I mean, the, the chef of the Mars, sorry to interrupt, the guy that has a three-star Michelin restaurant in El Puerto Santa Maria, Angel Leon, he makes sausages with tuna. <laughs> like he makes uh, saucisson, lomo, wow. chorizo, made with bluefin tuna that you wouldn't notice it unless somebody tell you. That's amazing. I've never heard of that. That's cool. So you, you mentioned Pedro Jimenez. Yes. Which makes me think of sherry. Yes. Which make me th- makes me think of tapas. Yes. So the origin of tapas... Is in the south. Is yeah. in the south. Because we have more flies than in the north. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, that's the story, right? You put the plate yeah. over the glass of wine. 500 years ago, <laughs> oh imagine gosh. a bar with mm. no mm. anything. So right. disgusting yeah, place, must believe. But bar flies cliche for <laughs> yeah. more than one reason. Yes. And so uh, the locals put cover the wine with the tapa situation, which is the, almost the same thing we do today. You order a glass of wine in Granada or a beer, preferably a glass of wine, and you end up <laughs> For with... For those of us in the wine business. And y- wine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you end up with tapas. In Granada, people go out for dinner without paying anything for the food. Oh, yeah. Wow. They have the program all together. They say, okay, I get two pieces of cheese here with this guy. I get to the other bar, a piece of sausage on, um, a croquette. Mm. It's incredible. The hardcore place for the tapa 
is Granada. You can spend like a whole evening eating like a pig without paying anything for the food. Just pay for the wine. And they are not expensive either. And they're really good. It's the, the locals demand the food oh. with the wine. Granada. Yes. I mean, uh, tapas and jerez, is that something you grew up with? Yeah. I mean, um, uh, I grew up with Amontillado because, I mean, like um, I was more closer to Cordoba. And I drink a lot of fino from the barrels while still fermenting in age with the leaves and so on. So I used to drink a lot of fino straight from the barrel, which is very aromatic. And because the finos of Cordoba hasn't been 45, they are lighter to drink, so you could drink a bottle and not feel too bad. And I remember sitting in the taberna with uh, the local flamenco players and compositors of the songs of flamenco, and for I invite them for fino and some tapas, and they sing to me, and we spend the like four or five hours drinking fino and listening to the best flamenco in the yes, world. That sounds insane. brutal. Yeah, that in sounds great. In the streets of Cordoba. <sighs> and, uh, That's a in, beautiful picture. In a bar painted. called Taverna Salinas, which is still there, but it's not as good. <laughs> I'm sorry to take you away from home, but let's yes. talk about Estremadura, because I think people have no idea that it exists. Extremadura is uh, the most beautiful untouched part of the country. So where where is it in Spain? That's um, is uh, west uh, of Madrid, and southwest also. It stretches from Andalusia to Castilla Leon. It's a very large region, very wild. It's one of the few places you have forest. It's the source of all our oak, and landscape more original to what Spain was. Spain forests were composed out of the wild oak, you know, called uh, Encina and Alcornoque. So it's the white oak called Encina and Alcornoque is the cork tree. And so that's why all the cork come from there. Amongst it, the best Iberic products from Guijuelo. So going to Extremadura and eating tremendous amount of jamón, chorizo, lomo, and all this kind of stuff, it's like the food there is incredible. They also produce most of the tomatoes that we eat in Spain, by sure. And they have some very good wines in Almedralejo, which is an appellation down there, the Extremadura appellation, produce very good wines. Wines like what? Tempranillo-based wines, like Lar de Barros, for example. Or, you know, there's many brands out there. Palacio Quemado. Basically, most of them are based in Pranillo with other additions, like you have Cabernet, Merlot, and so on. I mean, uh, Extremadura, which I, I crossed, uh, like, the last year three times uh, to go to Toro, precisely. Going from Andalusia is a good, quick way because the, the roads are fantastic. has a lot of history. One of the most beautiful cities is Merida, with uh, Roman amphitheater, and you name it. It's like going to Rome, but in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it's pretty wild. It's, it's like you see nature everywhere. Hmm. Hunting is very popular there, so it's kind of like it's for the out, uh, outdoors people. Uh, it's the best place. Uh, you have big uh, rivers, big uh, uh, dams, and people go fishing, and it's very for the outdoors guy. And history guys, too. I don't know. It's beautiful. I mean, it's like very untouched. Although you have agriculture, the place is so big that you see more forests than any other place in Spain. What have I missed? The islands? The islands. Um, so what is the best wine made on the islands? 
Well, in, in Canary Islands, um, the, the grape there is Malvasia, the ancient Malvasia. It's like in Malaga, the ancient grape is Moscatel de Alejandria, brought by the Phoenicians. In the islands is the Malvasia, also brought by somebody. We don't know who. Um, the, the islands are very volcanic. Canary Islands are the west of the coast of Sahara Desert, Morocco, whatever you want to call it. Um, and um, they are mountainous, uh, some of them 100% volcanic. And the best food there is the original recipes from the Wanches, the people that were living there before the Spaniards arrived. So there's a lot of Berber sauces, like the green mojo, the mojos are popular there. So it's kind of like cilantro, onion, garlic, and chilies, and so on, with olive oil, and then a combination of the things. They have like, uh, I think, 100 different recipes of sauces to go with, wow. which made the chimichurri like nothing, um, with all my respect to chimichurri. And, um, and they have, you know, they boil the potatoes in seawater until they shrink and you dip them on these sauces, and they have the weirdest collection of fish that I've ever seen. Some of them, <laughs> first time when I met, when I went to Canary Island, I said, I've never seen this fish, because it's a, the fish in there is- Well, the South Atlantic fish, right? So. Yes, kind of start to be like that, but it's diff very difficult. It's rockfish, everything, because they don't have a continental shelf. So the, the fish is, kind of like more parrot fish. It's yeah. kind of like eating a tropical fish without the situation of being poisonous. And um, and it's the awesome. restaurants are pretty, the good ones are very simple. The, you go to the restaurant and say, what you have to eat? They say, come to the refrigerator, the open refrigerator, which one you want? They eat a lot of moray eel, stuff like that. I mean, I like it. Um, I mean, they have rabbit, evidently, because it's the food from the islands, and they don't have a lot of cheap and stuff like that. They got good cheeses down there, and the people are very nice, and the weather fantastic. And if you go to interior, they have this thing similar to chorizo, what we call sobrasada, which is like spreadable chorizo mm. over your beautiful farm bread. And um, for dessert, they have ensaymadas. They have incredible pastries there. Um, the, the, the people from Balearica, they play with a lot of almonds and honey and stuff like that. So for this next vacation that Cindy is clearly planning to spend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what 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 is the one place the one restaurant she needs to eat in that's simple and what's the one restaurant she needs to eat in that's fancy? Uh simple. Um I don't know. I think the Pacalandia that would be although maybe you have been there. No? She, she would should, she would know. She should go to Pacalandia. This is like the simple expression also is a um a woman chef. Um, that she worked her ass off, and you know she will be impressed with that. I would love that to go there. To find somebody that works harder than you is difficult, <laughs> and um, and yeah, that will be it. And uh, something better, I don't know. Something fa something fancy. <sighs> well, I mean, I, I like them a lot, but I, I think I have more pleasure in real, precise food that has been there, that represents tradition, and the flavors are clean and Perfect. impressive and rare more than the sophistication that comes from a complex cuisine situation. Mm -hmm. It sounds like he's becoming Italian. No. <laughs> no. I, I know I'm not Italian. I mean, my best friend is Italian, by the way, Louis. Well, Jorge, thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you Pleasure. so much. Giving us uh, your, your version of a lecture on Spanish food and wine. There's no way we could get across what you get across to people, and clearly what they have to do in traveling Personal. is just... Yeah 
contact or Herdonias in Malaga and go right to his house. <laughs> yes, a travel agent. And he'll show you around. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, I think that's all we have time for. If you want to listen further to this episode or others, you can go to the WYPR website, wypr.org, look up the Foreman Wolf page, and download any of the podcasts that you like. If you want to contact us via email, it's foremanwolf at wypr.org. And on social media. You can follow me on Instagram as Chef Wolf or on Twitter as Chef Cindy Wolf. I'm the real Tony Foreman on Instagram. And that's all we have time for. Thanks so much for listening. And happy Sunday. <laughs>